Hi, welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today's episode is awesome. I'm excited you're checking this out. I'm joined today by NHL goalie, Stanley Cup winner, Hall of Famer, Mr. Ed Belfour. Uh, Ed and his son, Dane, join me and they talk about their brand, uh, Belfour Spirits. This one is actually a really cool bottle and signed by Ed, so I'm really stoked about that. Um, they sent me two samples. They sent me their bourbon and their rye, and they're both delicious. I want to try this, but I don't. Like I, I, I so badly want to open this up and drink this, but I don't want to because it's signed by Ed Belfour, and this is awesome. Um, so I haven't made that decision quite yet, but I'm really excited to have it. I'm so grateful for um, Ed's generosity and the people that are working for Belfour Spirits that made this, um, this conversation take place. I'm grateful for Dane jumping on here. What you're going to find from Dane is I don't know if I've talked to somebody that is so knowledgeable or passionate about whiskey. He educated himself about the process of making whiskey, and it's just been incredible. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciated their time um, getting an opportunity to talk to somebody that excelled in their area of life and did it at the highest level. Uh, man, there's just nothing better than that. It's so fun to talk to people that have had an opportunity to excel the way that Ed did. Um, and then for, for Dane to be making the whiskey, um, that he's making is just incredible. So check out this episode, check out belfourspirits.com. Um, if you find a bottle, pick up a bottle, pick up five bottles. This stuff is outstanding. Uh, it looks great on your shelf. And I really suggest grabbing yourself a little bit of the Belfour spirits. Um, as always support for the barrel proof baseball podcast is brought to you by manscaped. Now manscaped, right? Got the travel bag. They even sent me a new one since I'm old. It's a ear hair and nose hair trimmer. I don't know if they're trying to tell me something. Uh, I don't need it yet, but 40 is, you know, it's hitting me pretty hard. So if I can get just for men to uh, hook me up, that would be helpful as well. So we got some deodorant. We got some toner. We got the, um, we got the lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof. Right. We got an LED light on it. Um, go to manscaped.com, 20% off when you use the code BPB. Uh, in addition to that, walk-offs and whiskey. Okay. 10% off when you use the code barrelproof baseball at walkoffs and whiskey.com. And check those guys out on their Instagram page. Um, look in the links below, bottomless coffee. It's a subscription-based coffee program to make sure that you never run out of coffee. And if you're like me, you really can't afford to ever run out of coffee. So Check out the bottomless coffee, check out the Amazon store and check out, I forgot what else. There's something else. Go to the des description below and look. And if there's something that looks interesting, click on it, buy it, help support the channel. If you're not interested, don't buy it, but watch the episode with Ed and Dane Belfour. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. All right, Dane and Ed Belfort, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Really appreciate you jumping on here. Thanks for having us, Tony. So, yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. So, Ed, I'd like to start with you. Um, kind of talking, just talk a little hockey. I mean, I'm like I said a minute ago, not the uh, not the hockey expert here, but obviously, uh, you know, I've seen enough of highlights of your career and know the things that you've done. But I'd like to hear a little bit about yourself kind of growing up, getting into, you know, your upbringing and then heading into the University of North Dakota? Yeah, so I grew up in Carmen, Manitoba, 
a little farming community of about 2,500 people. And, um, you know, back then we had three uh, TV stations to watch. Uh, so every Saturday night we would uh, huddle around the, the TV and watch Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, back then there was only six, six teams, the original six. And uh, my favorite team was the Blackhawks. So, uh, you know, it was pretty fitting and, and uh, also a dream come true for me to play for the Blackhawks and sign with them uh, in 87. But uh, growing up in a small community like that, that's all we did was play hockey, uh, you know, 24-7. It was, you know, street hockey and floor hockey and, you know, river hockey. And, uh, you know, it was always to, to win the Stanley Cup, of course. And, um you know, it was a great place to grow up and uh, everybody loves sports there. And the school really revolved, uh, you know, around sports. We had some, some great teachers who, you know, really promoted, um, you know, athletics. Um, you know, I played a lot of other sports too. So I had a, a great up, upbringing with a sports background with great people uh, like Frank McKinnon and Brian Parker and uh, Garth Collier, Collier and, and many others that, uh, you know, helped, um, you know, create that competitive atmosphere that you need as a young kid, you know, it just led to my uh, competitive nature. Um, you know, I got to play junior hockey. I was a little bit of a late bloomer um, with the Winkler Flyers, who Dane played for also. Um, we won a high school championship with the Carmen Cougars. Uh, and the funny thing about that is I didn't even make my high school team the first time I tried out for it. The, wow. They cut me and you know, that could have been the end of my career right there, but I never gave up and, you know, stuck with uh, working hard and, um, you know, I kept playing other sports. Um, but I had a chance to play some really competitive uh, hockey there with the Carmen Cougars and the Winkler Flyers in Manitoba, which led to a hockey scholarship with the University of North Dakota Fighting Sioux, which, you know, that was only about two hours away from where I grew up. But it was a, it was a dream come true to play for the Sioux. And... Um, as a freshman, we won the NCAA. We were 40 wins, eight losses, and uh, they called our team the dream team. So a lot of great things happened there. And um, I was a free agent, undrafted. So I had about six teams that wanted to sign me. But the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, my favorite team was one of those teams. So, of course, that's who I, I signed with was the Blackhawks. Yeah, probably not, probably not going to go to another team if you got a chance to go play for your, your favorite team. <laughs> Exactly. So it, now the juniors is that that's between high school and be, and going to college. Yeah. So uh, junior hockey starts at age about fifteen, and you can play up until you're twenty one. Um, I started as an eighteen year old and um, played three years. I was a twenty one year old freshman going into college, which is a little bit old. Mm -hmm. um, but I was a late bloomer, and. Um, I had two really good years in junior hockey. It was a Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Uh, you know, it plays just in Manitoba. And then uh, if you win your province, then you go outside of the province and play the other provincial champions. Mm -hmm. um, I had a chance to do that with uh, another team, the Winnipeg South Blues. And we went to the Western Conference Finals um, that year, my 21-year-old my year of junior which really led to my uh, offer for the scholarship at the University of North Dakota. So I was really fortunate to get that offer uh, being older. Um, and like I said, it was a dream come true. And, and um, the fighting Sioux led by Gino Gasparini at that time, John Marks, who was a, a former Blackhawk, uh, Dean Blaze and Kerry Eads, 
again, you know, they created such a great competitive atmosphere and, you know, I thrive on that. So, um, you know, we went, like I said, 40 wins, eight losses and won the NCAA. And, you know, I still cherish that I was only there one year. I signed with Blackhawks right after that, but I cherish that year so much, uh, you know, as a, a home, a family, I go back there every summer and, you know, I still do Sioux events and, you know, get involved with the school as much as possible. And, um, you know, we created a uh, tribute bottle to the Sioux fans and all my Sioux teammates and coaches. Uh, it's a straight rye whiskey, special edition, 106 proof. Uh, it turned out great. So, um, you know, it sold out, I think, in three weeks in North Dakota, uh, the minute wow. it hit the shelves. That's incredible. Um, so you're so and you're one of two players ever to win an NCAA championship, Stanley Cup and Olympic gold medal, right? Yeah, Neil Broughton was the other one, and he happened to play for the Dallas Stars also. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's a, a huge accomplishment. I, I feel really lucky and fortunate to, to have that. Um, you know, but I was on a lot of championship teams. You know, I played on a Canada Cup winning team. And uh, like I said, a high school championship team and uh, some other teams that did really well. So, you know, I've always been fortunate to to play on those really competitive, you know, well-coached teams uh, in Chicago. You know, we had Mike Keenan and Daryl Sutter, you know, really hard-nosed, tough, competitive guys. Um, you know, we went to the finals with the Blackhawks in, in 92 um, and almost won the cup. Um, we won 11 straight games to get there. And unfortunately we lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins, which were a little better team than us. So, okay, Dane. So talk about your, your experience kind of growing up and, and playing hockey and moving on into college. Uh, was it Nebraska, Omaha. Is that right? Yeah. Nebraska, Omaha for uh, the, the majority of my college career. And I played one year at uh, Wisconsin superior um, as well. Um, but my, uh, I mean, hockey's all I knew. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching my dad play and, you know, uh, not only my dad, but, you know, guys like Jeremy Roenick, uh, who was my dad's teammate for the Hawks uh, when they were in, in Chicago together. And Chris Chelios, uh, my godfather. Um, oh, wow. And, and uh, yeah, and these are dad's best friends, you know, and, and, and it, it goes to show you what type of a community hockey players are. Um, one of my dad's best friends, Chris Chelios is my godfather. So I was born, you know, into the game, knowing that that is life and, you know, there nothing else else matters. Basically you're on the ice, you're in the locker room with all the guys, you got the best game you're playing every single day. And, you know, you work hard, you play hard and, and you grow up and it's kind of like a, I, I really like to compare it to almost like a gladiators mentality. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a game of honor and it, it taught me everything I know about life and, you know, having your dad be Ed Belfort, like he's the best freaking goalie in the world. So I, I had the best, you know, the best teacher, you know, mm -hmm. hands down. And, 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 and that's how I learned to play the game. I, all I did was I just watched him. And I tried to be like a twin, you know, do everything sure. dad does move this way. Oh, dad put his blocker down here. Oh, why did he do that? Oh, dad put his blocker in somebody's face. Why did he do that? Oh, okay. I understand <laughs> now. I'm, I got, I, I'm learning here, you know? So, sure. so like that, I, I had, I had the best of everything growing up playing hockey. Great resource. Yeah. Yeah. 
so uh christ i i played junior hockey for the winkler flyers uh um same team dad played for and went to nebraska omaha um absolutely love playing college hockey there uh um omaha is probably one of the most underrated cities i yeah. i think um Great you know job. they don't have professional sports so they've got Creighton basketball and baseball and they've got Nebraska Omaha um, hockey and you know they've got a great soccer program uh, men's and women's there and then you know you got the Cornhuskers that are football in Lincoln within 45 minutes so me playing college hockey I mean we're freaking stars man like it, it was so cool playing you know like I'll never forget playing college hockey that's got to be some of the most fun I've ever had playing hockey was college hockey. You know, you got your whole uh, student section freaking screaming and just oh, hooting and hollering the whole, the whole game cheering the guys on. And it's just such a emotional reflection. It's just, it's an honor to be able to make that kind of a, a level to play D one college. And I, I thank, I thank, you know, every day for having that opportunity. That's great, man. I think uh, college sports is are, are so much fun. I think people that skip it, they don't. Uh, I don't know if you really can put a finger on just exactly how great that atmosphere is. But the Completely. you know trying to manage the, especially as a young man, like you're trying to figure out how to manage your time. You know your social, uh, your social uh, wants, I guess you'd say, and then manage it with trying to be a, be good at your sport. Absolutely, it's not easy. It was, it was, it was unique trying to balance the social reflection of college you know and then also be an athlete and also be an individual educational wise making sure you're you're keeping your standards high and so you can compete and actually play you know you got to stay eligible um i know i know if dad could do it i could do it dad stayed eligible i i can do it and and i wasn't much of a school guy but you know i gotta tell you tony that's really where i started learning about spirits was in college and, mm. you know, I, I worked in the uh, service industry. It's priceless, but I used to choreograph the lights to the dance floor at a nightclub <laughs> in my spare time. And nice. that, that was where my mind became so hospitality, you know, service industry, hospitality is the name of the game. But I get to try some of the most badass single malts out there and the badass right. bourbons and the rise. And I was drinking with one of my dad's uh, or one of my teammates, dads, and he turned me on to scotch. Uh, Glenn Levitt, Morangay, and Fittick, 18-year, those were my first three compar uh, comparative whiskeys that I went after. And I ended up writing a paper on the business of alcohol later on in, in, in my last year of college and, and then uh, um, came home. And that's where dad and I were like, well, hey, this could be a really cool business to go into. <laughs> yeah. Um Go, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let me cut you off. No, no that I think you, you got to ask Edward about that because I, I did write that damn paper, and <laughs> you know, I, w I was in school to play hockey, but the social side of the game, and you know, my work side uh, of my lifestyle in college is actually the industry we're now in. You know, uh, the entertainment business in a sense, and you know, the alcohol industry. So, kind of a silver lining moment for me to transition from you know, my endeavors in professional sports and hockey over to whiskey. And I think dad and I have always been professional drinkers, you know, with, when it comes to beer and bourbon and, and rise and, you know, like, it's just such an art form. 
I'm kind of curious, Ed, a couple well, a couple things here about hockey that I think would probably transition into whiskey. But for one, you know, you, like you said, you went undrafted out of college. You get an opportunity to sign with your favorite team, eventually become the rookie of the year. And, you know, what, what does that do for you as somebody who is now, I mean, does that add a different or new motivation of going undrafted and now you're playing for your favorite team? I mean, what's that motivation level like for you, um, you know, transitioning into professional hockey from college? Well, I think, um, you know, looking back on it, you know, I was always very competitive and, and confident, but, um, you know, never, never giving up on your dreams and, and, um, you know, having that attitude where you put your mind to doing something and you just go for it. You know, that's what I did with my hockey career. And, you know, I had lots of people say, well, you're undrafted. You're, you know, you're not very good. You don't even have a goalie coach, you know, you got this bad habit, you got that bad habit, but you know what? I didn't let that uh, get me down in any way. It actually motivated me that much more to prove people wrong. And, you know, I try to apply all the things that I learned, you know, playing, uh, you know, for the university of North Dakota for playing for, with the Blackhawks, uh, the Dallas stars, when we won the cup in 99, um, the Maple Leafs, you learn so many lessons along the way, there's always, you know, a, a mountain to climb. There's always things that happen that, that set you back, but you never give up and you keep learning every day. And that's what I tried to apply, you know, to my career was to learn every day and get better every day. And all those things that I learned, you know, I try to teach, you know, my, my kids and I try to teach our staff at Belfort Spirits. Um, you know, it's never going to be easy. We have to work hard for everything we get. And, um, you know, we're going to work every day at trying to make Belfort Spirits a better spirits company. Uh, we are always trying to make our whiskeys taste better. Uh, you know, we try to do everything we can with social marketing and, and social media and, and, you know, get out there and meet people and do tastings. And it, it's such a great feeling uh, to see success in, in both sides of that, you know, winning the rookie of the year, like you said, you know, I, I still remember my speech after winning all those awards and I could hardly even get the words out. I was so emotional and, and so happy. And, and it was just such a, a fabulous night. And, um, you know, you feel the same way when you, when you see people, you know, giving your spirits that you just made and spent the last three years aging and you, you win awards and you get, you know, people talking about it or someone just tries it for the first time. And they're like, Oh my gosh, wow, that's unbelievable. Like they, they can't believe how good it tastes. So, those are great feelings to have. And, and that's what motivates me and, and, and every day and, and our team to get even better and, and bring more spirits to, uh, to our fans and, um, you know, to our followers. And uh, as we grow our brand, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do is follow that model. One of the things I was trying to look up some information, and I know a lot of people spoke about you with your preparation, um, you know, and playing hockey, whether it was your skates or your equipment, you know, what's that like in terms of being, being sure for one, making sure you're prepared on a daily basis to go play, whether it's physically, mentally, you know, and from a hockey perspective, I'm curious, like scouting, like looking at the other team, you know, how much of that went on. And I promise all this is going to circle back to whiskey later on, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, again, you know, I was very detailed, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, hands-on with all my equipment. Um, you know, 
there were times that we would take a hacksaw and cut it all in pieces and see what's inside. And, you know, let's, let's change this foam piece to that and make mm -hmm. this one harder, make this one softer so we can control rebounds better. Um, you know, we designed, I'd say probably 80% of our equipment. And then um, I designed a, a skate blade that was removable from the boot. Uh, probably one of the first designs on the market. Uh, what that allowed us to do was change blades out with different profiles. So you'd have different pitches, different rockers, different angles, different hollows on the blades. Um, I learned how to sharpen my own skates so that, you know, I could put all that uh, research and development, you know, once I sharpened the skate and went on the, out on the ice, I could tell, oh, well, that made a change. I, I feel better this way. I'm, I'm more forward uh, or I'm more balanced. Uh, all these things you know, that I did with my skates helped me play better, which led to more wins. Um, so, yeah, for, for me being hands-on with all my equipment, uh, you know, the lies on the sticks, uh, you know, all that stuff come into play for, for success. And, um, you know, I look back on it and, and it's really helped me again, you know, with my direction when we make whiskey. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really an intricate part with all the wood selection, the barrel aging, the toasting, the charring, um, all those details, you know, come into play with, with that uh, make the rye and, and the bourbon taste great. Um, you know, I learned that all from, from being the way I am with, with my hockey equipment. Um, I watched a lot of a lot of tape and a lot of video, um, not usually so much about individual players, uh, but, you know, you'd watch yourself and you watch your team and, and how they played in front of you. You learn from your own mistakes. And, um, you know, sometimes you don't know why a goal was scored. You go back and watch. And, you know, I always tried to watch myself. And, you know, of course, there are certain players that you always try to pay attention to, like Brett Hall when he was you know, playing for St. Louis. You know, he was a sniper and I always tried to watch his tendencies and, you know, pay attention to, you know, the places he liked to shoot from. They were always helpful. So video definitely came into play. And that was at a time when, you know, video wasn't a big deal, uh, but I saw the advantages of it. And, um, you know, now I know they got iPads on the bench and, and they're looking at, you know, replays, you know, right on the bench at times. So uh, obviously we didn't have that. But I'll tell you a funny story. Um, it was in the playoffs, I think, in 93, maybe. And um, it was right at the point where they started putting cameras in the nets. But they didn't tell us that they were going to put a camera in the net. So I had this big piece of, um, I think it was like head iron steel wrapped around <laughs> the camera. And I was skating you know, up to the net. And I'm like, what in the heck is in my net? <laughs> and I... Uh, I see this thing in there. I'm like, Chelly, Chris Chelios. I'm like, Chelly, what is this? And he's looking at it and, he's, and we're trying to figure it out. And um, we're both like, we got to get this thing out of here. So there's Chris Chelios smashing the crap out of this camera. It was in the net. <laughs> by the end of the warm up, I think we had the thing all in pieces. And, um, you know, we were told later that was the, the new cameras that they had designed for the net. And, um, so that, that's <laughs> the part that uh, we didn't quite understand, you know, about the game at that moment. But it sure is pretty cool, you know, as uh, time went by and we could see all those new angles of, you know, how the puck was, you know, scored on and, you know, how, you know, sometimes it wasn't a goal when they call it a goal. And, 
you know, it was pretty neat to be part of that. Have, have you seen, I mean, how much have you seen the game change? I mean, I guess, Ed, from your perspective, playing at that level and then like Dane, having seen it from your perspective growing up and to where, where it's at now, like how has the game changed? Well, definitely a lot of new rules. Um, you know, like the game that I grew up in was a rough and tough, intimidating game. You know, guys used to get sick before the warm-up uh, because they were so nervous about what was going to happen in the warm-up. Back then, you know, you'd have, you know, Detroit's or St. Louis's or Minnesota's tough guys skating around, eyeing our tough guys up. And all it took was one guy to shoot a puck, you know, across the center ice line at someone's skate or, you know, at our net. And there was going to be a, a brawl on, and it happened a lot of times. And, you know, we'd have 10,000 fans show up for the warm-ups because they, they knew how intense warm-ups were. And, oh. and back then, um, you could dress, if I remember right, there was about 26 guys on the ice for warm-ups. And there were guys that were um, actually trying really hard in the warm-ups because the, the lineup wasn't decided until after the warm-up. Oh. And... Um, so he had guys actually working really hard in the warmups so they get a starting position for the game. And so warmups were really intense. There was really no, you know, talking with the other team and smiling and, you know, just kind of goofing around out there. Like you see happen in today's game. Sure. It just didn't go that way. It was, it was a rough and tough game and there was a lot of fighting and a lot of hitting and, and, and a lot of things that, uh, you know, really went on that were, um, you know, kind of, I guess, went towards the, the rough and tough players and, and the, the guys that were a little bit soft, you know, they, they would kind of shy away from those types of, of uh, situations. Now, if they were scoring a lot of goals, uh, like Wayne Gretzky did, they got protected. Um, you know, they had, they had three guys out there on, on the team that were, you know, there to protect the, the superstars on the teams. And they did. They did a great job of, you know, uh, Dave Semenko and Marty McSorley and, and the other guys, you know, they did a great job of, of protecting your superstars. And, you know, we had guys on our team like uh, Mike Peluso, who, you know, he did a fabulous job in, in that regards. And, um, you know, uh, Bob Probert in Detroit. Um, you know, we had Darren Kimball, Greg Smith, uh, you know, we had a lot of great players on our, on our team that uh, were heart and soul guys that did everything they could to, uh, you know, not only protect those players, but they were like the cheerleaders of the team. They were your best friends on the team. They were so supportive. And in today's game, it's turned to pretty much a 90% skill game and, and a really fast skating game. Now, in the playoffs, they allow the players to hit a lot more, and you see that a lot more old-style game, and I love the playoffs. You know, it's back and forth hitting, and, you know, those games are a lot more exciting to watch than, you know, during the regular season where you get penalty after penalty called, and, and it's because somebody, you know, touched somebody. <laughs> Sometimes Bobby Bassett <laughs> and I sit there and, like, you know, hit somebody, and then, you know, somebody does hit somebody or, you know, even puts a stick on somebody and a penalty gets called right away that can be a little bit frustrating to watch. And I, I think the fans get a little frustrated with it too, because, you know, the fans, you know, they love that old school tradition, 
game where it's back and forth and, and hitting and, and there's some fighting going on and you know it's a you know one nothing game or two one game um so i think sometimes the fans and, and some of the old school players can get a little frustrated with the new game but hey everything evolves and you, you just have to go with the flow yeah i think it's coming back i mm. i i think the game's coming back i i grew up watching i mean i'm Let's put it to you like this, Dad. I mean, Chelly's Chili Bar. Probably was about five or six, seven years old. I, I mean, I straight up remember cross-checking Jacob Suter right across the chin while we were playing. You know, just shinny hockey. It, you know, ball hockey. I was seven years old. And I'm like, <laughs> boom! Like, get out of my face, dude! Like, I don't care. I'm here to play and win. Like, that's how I learned. So as my career progressed. I came from the understanding of hockey was rough and tough. And then I saw, you know, talented players. Like, like I played with a guy by the name of Alex Simonson and he was my roommate. He's a, he's a, he's a Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota boy. And I mean, this player was so skilled. He played for the Chicago steel in the USHL. He had one of the best shots. He was a total sniper and, you know, he, he kind of never really got a sniff. Uh, because he wasn't as he wasn't the right type of skill because he was also rough and tough. Mm. I mean, those tough guys, they're really great hockey players. And, you know, you got to understand that the, the well, tough look guys, at Gordy Howe. Yeah. Like, does anybody remember Gordy Howe? <laughs> Mark Messier. Yeah. Mark Messier. I mean, these guys are freaking pit bulls out there on the ice and they can score goals and they can freaking knock your teeth out. <laughs> oh, okay. But that sounds like hockey to me. Now, I'm gonna. I'm not. I'll call it like Don Cherry. I just don't like seeing a you know a sissy game played. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's a rough and tough game, and that's how it's supposed to be played. You want to win, you know, you're gonna bleed for it. Simple. It's hard, I think, because there's. I mean, there's a lot of changes in baseball right now. And baseball is not hockey, obviously, and it's. But there was there was a physicality even in baseball, and you know the nineties, especially. And, and before then, um, you know, that's not there, whether it's the rules to protect infielders or catchers from, you know, collisions or slide rules or whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know, and then the implementation of more technology, um, you know, injury prevention. And now you're talking about guys that are, you know, because at first when they got rid of the rule that you couldn't run catchers over at the plate as a catcher, I'm going, come on, like bring that back. Yeah. But you're talking about guys that are making a ton of money and the GMs are like, dude, we're not, we're not losing that guy to a stupid collision at home plate. So I get it, but I do enjoy watching baseball from, you know, the late eighties. Yeah. God, <laughs> I feel that too there, Tony. I get it, man. I'm curious, Ed. And again, like I said, this is going to circle back to, uh, to, to, to whiskey, but your, your number changed from 30 to 20. Can you talk about that? It was for Tretiak, right? Yeah. So what was the impact he had Chicago, on you? When I got traded from Chicago to San Jose, um, I switched to number 20 and that was because of Vladislav Trechak, who was my goalie coach with the Chicago Blackhawks. And, and he was also like one of my heroes as a, as a little boy playing up, um, you know, Tony Esposito and Ken Dryden and Rogie Vashon uh, were all my, you know, favorite goalies, you know, that, that I had a chance to watch in, in the NHL, but Vladislav Trechak was, you know, a very famous name, for all of us young kids from the 72 summit series, when, you know, the best players from 
Canada played against the, the Red Army team who had won, I think, at that time, 10 world championships or something. And Trechak was uh, touted like as the best goalie in, in the world. And, you know, I had a chance to uh, uh, play in front of Vladislav before he became my goalie coach. And I knew he was in the stands. And I just wanted to, to get a shutout so badly. I didn't get a shutout that game, but we won 2-1. And I think we got outshot like 50 to 10. <laughs> and wow. he came into the locker room afterwards and, you know, he's got this huge hands and uh, came up to me and he's shook my hand. He says, good game. And I was just <laughs> like, in, you know, in heaven, hearing sure. that come from Trechak's mouth, you know. And then um, about six months later, he became my, my goalie coach with the Blackhawks. Uh, Mike Keenan hired him. And um, it was just awesome to have Vladislav around. And, you know, he, he was uh, – on and off the ice, he's, he's such a great hockey ambassador uh, for the NHL, for, for hockey in general. He stops and signs autographs for kids. And, and you know, <clears throat> he had all these, <coughs> excuse me, he had all these uh, goalie schools uh, for goalies. And um, he had them all over the country and he would teach these kids, you know, about eight hours a day, he was coaching kids you know, that were anywhere for ages like seven or eight years old, all the way up to 30, 40 year olds would come to his goalie school. And Dane and I went to his school hmm. and uh, you learned so much from Vladislav. He was a big, you know, part of why I, I lasted so long in the game and, and played at such a high level. You know, he pushed me so hard and, and I'll never forget that. And so thankful for him. And um, that's when I switched my number when I got traded to number 20. That's awesome. I love it. Um, Dane, last hockey thing. Cause I know I want to, I want to get into some whiskey, but Dane, who is your, I mean, if you're around your dad, you're around those teams, like who was, who is your guy? Like who is your favorite player or who is the one that you ever got? If you ever got starstruck around somebody, you know, Tony, that is, that's a great question. I, uh, you know, I got to see, you know, dad's teammates throughout my career, uh, on every team. And, you know, like I said, from the start, I grew up in this and it was just a family, you know, I'd been playing in the NHL from the time I was like 12 years old when I got to go on the ice and skate with the stars, man. And, you know, Holly's ripping shots at me and Ludz is shooting on me, Moe's shooting on me, Gee, Car you know, Carbo's shooting on me and Ryan Scrudlin's shooting on me. And then I go to Toronto with dad and I'm on the ice and I got Gary Roberts blasting my collarbone right open with a slap <laughs> shot that I'll never freaking forget about. And I, the, all the guys that, that I've gotten to meet and play with and just reflect off of their style of gameplay in the game of hockey, it, it's, it's everybody, you know. And out of everybody, there's, there's always a certain few, you know, and it always, it's always the enforcers. And – there's something about a, a relationship between a goalie and, you know, the enforcers of the team, the tough guys of the team, because like dad was talking about, you know, you guys had Wayne Gretzky out there who'd go out and score a hundred goals, but you also had, you know, Tim Huntner and Semenko fighting over to, to, to protect that, you know, that fella. So the rough and tough guys, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, uh, for example, Dave, Dave Manson, um, uh, he played with dad in Chicago for a little bit and then also played with dad um, in, uh, in, in, in Dallas a little bit. And, uh, you know, 
that that guy was you know his nickname was charlie manson and you know like because he, he was the, yeah, yeah he was the killer out there but <laughs> i mean i know that because i freaking grew up in the locker room and that guy protects everybody guys like wade belak you know god rest his soul he's not around anymore but he was a tough guy that that freaking babysat me for for two weeks when I was 13, 14 years old in the in Toronto, and my dad and his his, his wife at the time were out on vacation. Like, I, it's 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 everybody. It's guys like Chelly. It's guys like Jr. It's guys. It's it, it's the freaking goddamn all stars of the game, and it's just for the love of the game that these veterans try to instill into the next guys coming up. It, that's great. And that's hockey. Sure, Ed. <laughs> Last one for you, the, uh, your Stanley cup 99. What's that? What's that like? I mean, I, I think every kid playing baseball growing up, you know, you always put yourself in that position when you're out in the front yard or some sandlot, like playing baseball and you put yourself in that position going, all right, we're in the world series, like bottom of the ninth game seven, you know, what's it like? Like you win the, the Stanley cup. I mean, how is that moment for you? And then taking the cup to North Dakota. Yeah. Like I said, you know, growing up in Carmen, you know, that's all we did was play street hockey, floor hockey, pond hockey, river hockey for the Stanley Cup. You know, you're playing for it, you know, as a kid all the time. And, and of course, you know, you're playing in game seven against, uh, you know, the, the north end versus the, uh, the east end of Carmen. And, you know, we had those games amongst one another. And, you know, just uh, I'll never forget those days. And then, you know, as you go throughout your career and, you know, we won the NCAA with the Fighting Sioux and, you know, that was friggin' amazing and, and, you know, just uh, an incredible moment that I'll never forget. And, you know, I'm still on, you know, in touch with all of my teammates from North Dakota. We're on a thread right now. There's like 24 of us on there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talk to each other every week. It's great to talk to those guys. And then, you know, making the NHL is a dream come true. And then, you know, of course, you you get the chance to, to play for the Stanley Cup and, you know, that was my goal was to, to win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, uh, we came close, like I said, in, in Chicago it was such a heartbreaker, but I learned so many lessons from, from that loss. And, uh, you know, getting to sign with the Dallas Stars in 97, um, you know, Bob Ganey had put together, you know, a, a great, the makings of a great team and uh, a, a championship team that had the possibility of winning a cup. And that's why I signed there. Uh, with the stars I took less money to go there but for me it was about winning the cup not about money and um, you know we we worked hard at it we had some definitely had some bumps in the road where we lost to uh, Detroit in the third round the year before um, you know, that was a tough loss um, you know I didn't play great uh, or as good as I could I took responsibility for that and I promised the guys that I'd be better the next year and we went on to win the Stanley Cup the next year. Now, that wasn't an easy road to win the Cup. You know, we had some tough games there, and especially in the third round against Colorado. You know, we were down three games to two. We had to come back and, and win in Colorado, and we did that. And then we won game seven back home. So, um, you know, that set us up uh, with some great momentum going in the finals against Buffalo. And, of course, playing against Buffalo, they had Dominic Hossack. And Dominic and I played together as rookies in Chicago. We started together. So there was some extra incentive there. You know, he was always toted the better goalie over me. And that just, you know, gave me that extra motivation that I needed to even play better. So, 
you know, we went on to, to win the cup there in Buffalo and in, in triple overtime. And I still remember the moment. I'll never forget it. Uh, I was watching, you know, as Holly scored the goal and then everybody jumped off the bench, but it wasn't clear if it was a goal or not yet. I was watching the refs and, you know, it seemed like it was a goal, but I don't know. There was just that, that sense of I better wait just a second. But then when, you know, Matt Chuck starts skating towards me and off came the gloves and we met each other at, at uh, the blue line there, I think in midair. And um, it's just an amazing moment that, you know, all the hard work and all the, you know, the, the training that you put in and all the, you know, the, the losses and, and the, the bumps in the road, it, it just paid off. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, tears in your eyes and, and, and just, uh, you know, screaming for joy and, just an amazing moment. And then, you know, afterwards when you actually get to pick up the Stanley cup and skate around with it, um, you know, get the chance to, to hold it and kiss it. Um, just awesome. And then in the locker room after the game and everyone's telling stories and we're, we're sipping on whiskey and, and uh, drinking champagne out of the cup. And it's just a very special moment. Um, I'll never forget. Uh, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I got to, to spend the, uh, that summer, everyone gets the Stanley Cup for uh, a day. In my case, I was lucky enough to get it for two days. I did take it to uh, uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota to share with the Sioux fans, some of my teammates and coaches. And um, I think 6,000 people showed up at the, uh, at the uh, UND uh, gymnasium to, to see the Stanley Cup, take photos with it. Um, they let us use the school bus and me and some of my teammates from North Dakota and, and uh, coaches got on the bus. We got to the border. I'll never forget this too. We get to the Canadian border and the guys, border guards come on the bus and uh, they're like, Hey guys, you know, where are you off to? And, and they, they see the Stanley cup sitting there in one of those seats and they're like, is that the Stanley cup <laughs> just, just in awe? Like, Oh my gosh, you can't believe it guys. Stanley cups here. Not expecting <laughs> that. Let one. In. They, they ended up taking a bunch of photos with the Stanley cup. And of course they knew who I was. Cause I, I always cross that same uh, border crossing at Nechi. And um, so the guys were so excited to see the cup. And then we, we went on to Carmen, Manitoba and, um, put the cup on display for all the small towns and communities for them to come visit the Stanley cup. I think there was like 4,000 people that came, you know, from all the little towns around us uh, to visit the Stanley cup and uh, see, uh, you know, we had a bunch of displays set up, uh, you know, of our journey, my journey to win the Stanley cup. And, um, you know, good friend of mine, Buddy Voth, who was uh, uh, my manager at the time, um, you know, he did all the, uh, the setup for the parties and the events and what a great job buddy did. Uh, he was my teammate when we won the championship for the Carmen Cougars. And, um, you know, what a great time we had. Jeff Friesen was there. Uh, his daughter did the design, the new Eagle, which you see behind me. Uh, she actually was a little baby. Then she sat in the Stanley cup and, uh, we got photos of her in the cup and she's a big part of, uh, the Eagle design, we're thankful for Abby Friesen. Um, but that night we had a, a private dinner. Uh, my mom and dad were there, my sister, uh, everybody was there, all my, my friends and, and close relatives, uh, close by teachers, 
And um, I got up and spoke for, um, I think, close to an hour. And some of my teachers came up to me afterwards like, Ed, I didn't realize you could speak that long. <laughs> so they were pretty happy to be part of it. And uh, we just had a great time. And uh, next day after that, um, woke up that morning, I ate uh, cereal out of the Stanley Cup at home. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was something special for me, eating cereal out of it with my mom and dad. And uh, from there, we uh, went back to Grand Forks. They let us use the private jet and we flew to Meigs, uh, downtown uh, Meigs Field in Chicago. Uh, got some great photos with the uh, Stanley Cup, the limo, the jet, and uh, the skyline from Chicago in the background. And um, we had a great party there that evening at the Hilton Palmer House. And we had about 800 people to a private dinner. There were some beautiful ice sculptures. Again, a lot of my friends and from Chicago and from Michigan, from playing in the minors, they, they all came to the party. And we partied till 4 a.m. in the morning with the Stanley Cup. And uh, the cup boss, he's like, hey, Ed, I'm sorry, but I have to take the cup now and go to Michigan to uh, let Darian Hatcher, our captain from the Stars, you know, it was his uh, day the next day with the cup. So just an amazing two days. Uh, you know, that I had a chance to, to give back to, to all the people that helped me, you know, throughout my career in Michigan with the Saginaw Hawks. That was the farm team for the Chicago Blackhawks. All my friends in Chicago that could make the, the party and, and just a big thank you. So it, it was awesome. What a great tradition. That's so cool. So, all right. I, I could sit here all day and listen to uh, hockey stories because I think we could probably go down some rabbit holes that would be a lot of fun but I do want to talk about your whiskey because like uh you know Kelly sent me to uh two of the 200 milliliters and these are outstanding it's really good whiskey um but I, well, I'm you. curious because I think every like everybody that likes whiskey at some point goes man that'd be so cool to have like a whiskey company how do you go from being somebody who probably enjoyed whiskey to taking that plunge and saying, Hey, let's like, let's actually do this versus, you know, Hey, it's an idea, you know, like Dane, I mean, you're making whiskey now, but how, like, how do you go to that point where it sounds like a good idea to, we're going to take it from being an idea to like, well, we're actually doing this. Yeah. Well, like Dane was saying, you know, he did that paper in school on, on, uh, the, uh, spirits business. And um, so we were, you know, that summer he was at home and we were talking a little bit about his paper and, and he was telling me about, uh, you know, what he was writing about and stuff. And, um, you know, we, we just happened to be watching an episode of Moonshiners. Mm-hmm. And um, so, we you know, we always got a good kick out of watching Moonshiners and those guys making moonshine, you know, in the backwoods and stuff. And you know, we, we thought to ourselves, hey, you know what, why don't we make some whiskey? And um, so we ordered a still. And, um, you know, the idea was to make our own whiskey for our own consumption and for our own friends. And uh, we quickly realized it was highly illegal and uh, <laughs> yeah. decided that we weren't going to make our own whiskey at that point. But um, so we went down the road of researching how to do it legally. And we didn't realize you know, all the, the, the hoops that we'd have to jump through to, to become distillers. Uh, there's so many laws involved and each state is different. And, um, but you know what, we, we started it 
And, um, you know, once we put our minds to doing things, uh, you know, I always go back to my mom. My mom always told me, you know, Eddie, if you put your mind to doing something, you can do whatever you do and, and just never give up on it and just, you know, believe in yourself and, and, and have a dream. And that's, you know, that's how I made the NHL. And, uh, you know, with our whiskey business, we started out small thinking, you know, we'll just make it for ourselves. And one thing led to another. And, you know, I said to Dane, I said, Dane, if we're going to do all this work and, you know, go through all these uh, avenues of, of trying to get uh, the licensing and, and, you know, we end up going to school to learn how to make the juice in, in Canada, first of all, at the Canadian uh, uh, Institute of uh, Distilling. Yeah. in uh, Kelowna, BC, um, I said, you know what, we, we should do this, you know, as a real business and, and you know, put, put our product out on the shelves for, for uh, our fans and friends to enjoy. And uh, one thing led to another. We, we ended up going to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky, and we met so many wonderful people in the business in Kentucky, uh, like uh, Peggy No Stevens and... Uh, uh, Randy Allender, uh, Don Rogers, and Don Hardwick, and, and so many others that helped us learn about this business. And now we have like 2,800 barrels of, of uh, whiskey aging. And uh, we've been on the shelves for a year and a half and people love our whiskey. And it's because of the detail and the, the focus that we have on our business. We work every day, you know, just like in our hockey careers, from the time we we get up in the morning until we go to bed. We're we're thinking, we're we're working towards our whiskey business, and our every one of our teammates is the same way. Uh, my daughter is involved in our business too, Reagan Belfour, and she does a great job, you know, with with all of our operations and uh, all of our organizing, and all of our monies, our banking. Um, you know, she does all that. So. All of our team is involved from a day-to-day -day basis, our, our head of sales, our head of marketing, and we got a great team. And that's what Dane and I are used to is being on a great team, working as a team. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we've, we're so much further ahead with our business because we have that team mentality. You know, we, we can't do it all ourselves and we rely heavily on, on Mark Lonis, our head of sales, and Elizabeth Cornelius, our, our head of marketing our sales team, uh, Tony DiVanuti, uh, Brian Rogers, and uh, uh, Nick Lazorco, they do a great job for us on the field, you know, just visiting all the on and off premise uh, accounts. Uh, now, of course, you know, with what happened over the last year with COVID and, you know, we, we didn't give up. It was, uh, it was, we had to make changes. We had to make adjustments, but we, we stuck in there and, um, you know, we still were doing uh, tastings whenever we could. And, um, you know, we, we learned that every uh, person that you meet, that you put a smile on their face with your brand and they love your whiskey, they're going to tell 20 other people. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's what we've learned about this business. And we just keep striving for that. Just keep working towards, you know, putting smiles on, on people's faces and creating great whiskey. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's the team environment, which, like I said, you know, we, we love that environment. Dan, you mentioned like you were in the service industry before, and now, you know, you go to, like you said, Moonshine University, and now you're really learning about, you know, 
distilling and all, all the process that goes into actually making it. I mean, what's that like for you, like taking that jump from being in the industry, having some sort of knowledge of it. And now like you're really digging in, you're getting to know the details of it, the science of it, the art of it, you know, matching them together to where you're really learning about making quality whiskey. Absolutely. Tony, it's, it's, it's so relative because, you know, uh, mix, mixing cocktails and making cocktails is one thing and serving drinks to people and being able to visit and promoting a good time all the time. You know, that's why you go to bars and restaurants and you interact with families and friends, you know, and my curiosity, you know, on to make other spirits, you know, and how do we get the flavor profile of different spirits? You know, how do we get uh, something that tastes different? That's also a whiskey, but tastes different than a whiskey that we made, you know. Uh, mash bills what dad does with the barrel profile um you know we use seven different cooperages and we have you know three different bourbon mashes and 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 guess what it's literally like you know trial and error research and development you know and that's what dad and i get to do is hey you know i want to try this barrel profile dean with with this mash bill let's toy with the proof points and see if we can really hone in and make this spirit that much better within within its own integrity and, you know, we do that with seven other cooperages. So each cooper has their own little flair and flavor profile that they implement on our mash bills. So you can really tell the difference from one cooper to the next. And just understanding that that, that is a variable in how we, you know, are, are, are presenting our flavor profiles to the drinker. I mean, that's freaking amazing, uh, you know, you can change the micron of the grain and technically you'll, you'll have a better chance of producing more sugars during the cook, which turns into having more of an alcohol content to concentrate and distill. So it's like the most fun way to become a curious nerd or a geek, you know, in, in an area that, that you, you don't know the answers sure. just yet. But if you do this, this and this in a controlled environment, you know, hypothesis, you'll get that. And dad and I are prepared to sit two to four years to figure out if we made a one hell of a mistake or one hell of a party, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's really so much fun. It's all about doing it together and having fun and making some good juice. The, so what's your, as you get started, you make your decision, you're going to go, it's, it's on, like you get your educational you know process kind of done or the beginning part of it, at least, you know? Yeah how, how does that start now? Do you have to start picking out grains and, and like you said, barrels, water? I mean, how do you get into that point where you're choosing what's going to go into what you're making? Uh, great question, Tony. A lot of this is discussion between dad and I touch and feel. Um, we take samples progressively over time. Um, as we try something new, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pull some samples at six months, we'll pull samples at nine and 12. And then, you know, after about a year, year and a half, that's when we'll really start honing in and pull samples, you know, at, at a year and three quarters, you know, then it's, then it's monthly. And then pretty soon, you know, after two to two and a half years, you're taking samples of a couple barrels that you've put hands on. You're like, Oh, that one's going to be ready earlier than these ones over here. We got to pay attention to this. Oh, oh, but this one's got a little bit of a different char level that dad was toying with. So it might not taste as good in between the years two and three, but might absolutely blow us out of the water at four to six. And a lot of that is just dad and I talking back and forth to one another, comparing and contrast what we have and what other whiskeys we like drinking. You know, we're competitors, just like dad said, 
you damn right we know how the freaking Toronto Maple Leafs are going to play against the Chicago Blackhawks. You definitely know that the New York Rangers are going to play different against the Boston Bruins when they do versus Montreal. It's no different than, than your spirits. How are these ones going to compete against each other in our same kind of a, of a, of a, of a um, conference? You know, like, just mm-hmm. like hockey, just like baseball. You got your rivals, and you're always trying to outcompete your rivals, and those guys are, are, are the ones that are making you better. And, and helping you raise your own bar. And, and that's what's even better about the bourbon industry and the whiskey industry is they're, everybody's pretty much close-knit, you know, group of fellas and, and, and gals. And just trying to make better whiskey seems to be the common denominator between all of us. So yeah. it, it, that, that's where the fun comes in, in, into, into play. And, and dad's curiosity, my curiosity, and dad's ability to research and develop is second to none, you know? I mean... That's like you made the comment earlier about his equipment. That's why we're so great. Cause he's like, Dane, I'm going to throw a curveball now. What the hell am I, is this going to taste like? And I just getting satisfied with where the proof points are and how they're going into the barrels. And he's like, Nope, I want to try these different barrels. You know, we're going to do 300 of this kind. And I'm like, ah, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> so just you between got, dad and I, it's priceless. <laughs> and you guys, you, you've been distilling your own juice from day one, right? Or did you guys so, source to, to start out? Or how does that, how did that work? So um, what we have, uh, Tony, is we have an incredible working relationship with a group, uh, uh, Woody Creek Distilleries, where, where I got my internship um, done at in Colorado and in North Carolina with Pete and Vienna Barger, another mom and pop family owned operated business. Um, they were just getting started in the production side of things. And we had a common denominator at the time, in the financial role managing us, uh, Don Rogers. He was their CFO and he was our, um, as well in the beginning of Belfour Spirits. And that's really how the research and development and, 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 the, and, and the need and desire to distill juice of our own came into effect where these folks needed to make juice for people. Mm where I don't want to say it's like MGP where, mm-hmm. where, you know, you get, you get this mash bill, which is just like a Coke dispenser. You get diet Coke, you get Coke, you get cherry Coke, you get Coke vanilla. Pete and Vienna let me come in there and run distillation tandem with them when we're running our, oh. our, our distillation as if it's our own distillery. Nice. Dad and I really didn't want to build a facility and not have the ability to make juice because all of our capital is tied up in just infrastructure we did it backwards. We were like, hey, you know, we know what flavor profile we're curious about, and what, we, what we're after, hence the internship and the, the two schools that dad and I went to. We're like, why don't we just lay down some freaking barrels and have some juice so we can, you know, get this show on the road inventory wise, build our facility a couple years down the road. That way we won't ever be worried about losing our flavor profile, you know, because of quantity issues, which sure. some places have had in startup. It's, it's a timely manner. Yeah, so what we did, Tony, is we we created our own mash bills. And then, um, you know, like Dane was saying, um, Southern Distilling there, they they we do contracting with them. They do everything to our specifications. And then we'll come in and we'll do all our tastings there and we'll do our blendings there. Um, you know, like I said, we've been on the shelves for about a year and a half. Uh, we're getting ready right now to uh, do a capital raise to build our own distillery. 
Uh, it'll be somewhere in Texas, most likely near Dallas. And we're really excited about that. So hopefully within the next year and a half, uh, Belfour Spirits will be uh, running its own facility. And uh, you'll find Dane and I there probably 24-7. Uh, 25-8. Dane, Dane always <laughs> wanted a, you know, a bunk bed at the arena where you could just stay there all the time. And you know, we said, well, why don't we do that at the distillery eventually? So uh, we'll have a place there at the distillery for Dane to stay overnight. It's perfect. I, I've got the vision, you know, everybody works their shift and instead of everybody going home, you know, we're just going to walk to the, you know, back or courtyard of the distillery and fire up the green egg grill and start cooking some venison and elk and get some burgers going and get, get the party started after the shift mm -hmm. and get the music going. Uh, it's so true. I think, I think dad could, dad and I could easily have lived at the rink our our entire career and the distillery is most likely going to be no different <laughs> that's the uh that sounds like the dream right there just living at the distillery you know <laughs> get a grill out back and you're good to go i mean get get the family and friends over you know get get the music going and you know get get the hospitality you know the service industry you know it's we really want our place to be reflective to folks as hey you know that's the spot you know, we're going to go hang out at our flat. Well, where, where's where's the bar we're going tonight? We're going to Eddie and Dane's distillery. Mm -hmm. we're, we're going to right where all of the juice is made here. And, and, you know, and that's going to be a really special thing for me because I love the service industry. And that that's that's the hospitality side of me. How much and, fun uh, is that? We want, to have a, we want to have a great facility where people can come, you know, go on uh, whiskey tours, you know, do a tasting, do a barrel dump, um, you know, have a nice merchandise store with uh, you know, lots of goodies for them to buy. Um, we want to have some good food so people can come and eat there, and, and we want to have some live music. It'll be a great place to go and enjoy yourself and, and relax and smoke a stogie if you want to. I'll, I yeah. will be making that trip. I'm going to tell you yes. right now, I'll make that trip and bring cigars. <laughs> I'm in. Exactly. <laughs> how, so how fun is that for you guys, though, to be able to, like you said, mess around a little bit and go, hey, let's, let's char this a little bit more, or let's add you know a little bit of this. I mean, there's got to be some like intricate tinkering that goes on that would really change either the flavor profile or, you know, either maybe speed up, slow down, whatever it might be. But how fun is that for you guys to be able to have that creative control over experimental processes of making the whiskey? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, again, it's like uh, going back to hockey. It's like when we designed our skate blades, you know, Dane and I were trying, you know, different uh, pitches and, you know, uh, different rockers and different angles. And it was a lot of fun doing that, too, because you could go out on the ice and you'd be like, oh, wow, that made a huge difference. You know, it allowed me to stand up a little bit more or, you know, allowed me to move better. Well, the same thing with the, the wood, the barrels, the charring, the toasting, you know, the, the type of barrels we use and the proof points that we work with coming off the still going in the barrel, you know, coming out of the barrel in, into the bottle. All those things, you know, are fun to work with. And they're exciting. They're very creative, like you, like you say. And uh, they do create some really awesome tasting whiskeys. And that's what we've tried to do with, you know, every one of our uh, products that, that go on the shelf. We do a lot of, you know, development behind the scenes first before it, it ends up on the shelf. And we do a lot of tastings with that product before it ends up on the shelf so that we make sure that 
everyone we try it with, they really love it before we put a, a label on it, put it in the bottle and put it on the shelf. And um, so far that's been working out great for us because I've heard so many people with our, you know, Texas pecan bourbon, um, you know, they try it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, how old is this? Is this 12 years old? 13 years old? We're like, uh, no, it's 18 months old. <laughs> they can't believe how young it is. And I, um, I was shocked when I, when I tried this because to find out it was a weeded bourbon, I, I yeah, thought, cause there's that, uh, is that spice come from the pecan staves? For sure. Okay. And the barrels okay. we use. Definitely. I mean, I, I never, there, there's that smoothness there, like a weeded bourbon, but that's, there's a little spice and smokiness. I was like, man, that's, that's definitely unique. I mean, that is really good. And I never would have thought it was 18 months old. Yeah, no, we're, we're so happy with that product and, and, you know, how well people have enjoyed it. And, um, you know, we get a lot of people with our products, you know, when we're doing tastings, um, you know, like at a total wine, you get a lot of, you know, just first off people come up and, and visit your brand. They never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, well, I don't really like whiskey. I, I had a bad experience with it. And we're like, okay, we understand that, but this is a little different. Just have a little sip. If you don't like it, you don't have to drink it. We'll and drink they put it, it to you. their lips and they're like, <laughs> whoa, this is different. And they try the next sip. And the next thing you know, they're asking for a second sample, you know, because of how smooth and easy it is to drink. And that's what we try to promote is, you know, our whiskeys are really easy and smooth to drink and with a lot of flavor and, um, you know, a lot of character. So, that's what we strive for. And, and like I said, I'm so happy that it turned out that way. Our rye whiskeys are like that too. Can you guys kind of take me through maybe some tasting on the, on the bourbon? Cause I've got the bourbon and the, and the rye here. And I'm curious about for, for one, the bottle. It's, I, and I know that's probably a question you get a lot of, but the bottle itself, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful bottle. How did that yeah, come about? You. First and foremost, how did, how did the bottle itself come about? It's definitely yeah. Cool. So we we wanted something that was very unique and wanted to have something that was going to have presence on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, we love you know the Roaring Twenties from a hundred years ago, uh, the Gatsby era, um, you know Art Deco. So we designed our bottle after that era. Um, you know, very uh, party like atmosphere, a lot of celebrating going on. You know, we we love to have fun. We're very social uh, people and, and a very social family. Um, so we want to promote that. We, our brand is all about that. Um, you know, again, we want to have that presence on the shelf. When people are walking down uh, the aisles of the liquor store and they see Belfort sitting there like, wow, that's a unique bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing is to get noticed and, and, and seen on the shelves and on a, on a back bar. Um, it'll entice someone to try it. And then when they taste the juice, you know, you got to make sure that the juice tastes great. So that's why we, we did a lot of that uh, development, research and development behind the scenes, the tastings we do before we put it in the bottle. So that when someone grabs it and tries it for the first time, we want them to come back and buy it again or try our other products and promote our brand to other people. Sure. So, OK, Very tell me a little bit about the tell me a little bit about the whiskey itself, because like I said, this is really good. Like, I really like this. Sure. Need, I'm, I'm hoping it gets to Arizona. I'm just telling you that. Oh, I think right, right around the corner, uh, we do nice. have plans. Absolutely, Tony, to get to, to Arizona. Um, give you a little bit of notes on the Texas Con Bourbon. It's a 46% spirit or 92 proof. 
aromatically present on the nose, you'll find that roasted nutty aromatic uh, uh, presence there and a mid body of a creme brulee butterscotch body and, and a, a nice vanilla smoky finish with almost like a little bit of attitude of jalapeno spice on the back end. And we really love this drink. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. Um, we really love this drink. Um, this is the 60, 30, 10. So the weeded bourbon, 60 corn, 30 wheat, 10 malted barley. And like dad was saying, you know, it's so different. It's so unique. It's so easy to drink. We really love this product. And here's why it, it, we believe it, this product really bridges the gap from those clear spirit drinkers to the age spirit drinkers. And, you know, folks who are, maybe a little bit more on the novice or the amateur side, trying to get acquainted with, with aged spirits, aged, you know, aged bourbon and rice and single malts. I, I really love this product because it helps folks kind of break on through to the other side, Jim Morrison style and I get, get into, <laughs> get into fricking bourbons because like mm -hmm. dad was saying, there's just such, there's such a, maybe a lack of education or an understanding on, what bourbons are and you know what certain whiskeys are and what they could be and there's you know such a harsh note almost like a wild wild west you know let's shoot whiskey you know and it's gonna knock my freaking boots right off like in back to the future you know um for when that happened to doc and, and he drank the damn shot of whiskey and he sent him flying across the room well this product is so dessert like uh, and I will say our whole family loves pecan pie. Uh, my little brother will <laughs> fight my sister over a pecan pie. So I, I think this also kind of like fights that stigma of the young bourbons. Yeah. I think people talk or, or act as though a young bourbon, I mean, a year and a half is not a, a super aged, but there's also people who are going to go after bourbons just because they're aged and sure. not, not really pay attention to the flavor profile it has. I mean, this, it's really good stuff and it doesn't taste like it's a young bourbon. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, okay. So the other one that I have is the rye. And so yes. tell me a little bit about this rye. Dad, you want to take the rye or you want me to take the rye? No, you go ahead, bud. Okay. Um, the rye is uh, so one more bump up in alcohol content. It's a 47% mm -hmm. spirit or 94 proof. Um, <clears throat> Now, what I love about this product is this is a, a 70 2010 rye mash bill. And dad, dad came up with this mash bill. I wanted to do a little bit higher rye mash bill uh, because I, I really like the nat those natural heavy hitting peppery spicy notes of the rye grain. Mm -hmm. uh, but what dad was suggesting when we developed this mash bill was let's influence the rye with 20% corn and 10% malted barley to really soften up those heavy, harsh, hot rye notes. So you'll find that it's very well balanced. Mm -hmm. It has some lovely dark chocolate, sea salt, and caramel on the nose, a mid-body of brown sugar and sweet tobacco. And on the back end, it's going to be a full, robust experience. It's going to give you a very warm esophagus leading to a very warm belly. And after you ingest, give yourself a full inhale and an exhale. And, and the finish of the rye is what I love. It completely changes away from that brown sugar tobacco body and leaves you with the warming, soothing, pepperminty, refreshing finish that'll hold you very warm in the mid-esophagus area for about two to three minutes. That's a, it's a really nice finish. Thank you. Thank you. And that, that's, that's the balance between you know the mash bill, the balance between the, the yeast strain that we use, and the balance between the barrel profile that dad you know, influences into the, 
uh, in with the white lightning. Um, what I love to focus on is if, if we make white lightning or moonshine or new make or white dog, if we make that right, and that's where I really try to stress my abilities on is being able to taste kind of where we need to be uh, coming off the equipment and taste where we need to go into the barrel at. If you can do that right, it just makes dad's job that much better and that much easier where his expertise is going to give you the matured product where 60% of the, the flavor profile is coming from what dad does directly with those barrels. So wow. it's really a TNT tandem, you know, between, between us and the whole team. And we get to develop some really dessert like experience like this product you got now. And, and I'm a rye guy at heart. So I, I just love the way that rye tastes. It's different than anything else out there on the market. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's really good. You have a, you have another rye, correct? Yeah, I actually got the bottle right here. Uh, Tony, it is. We have two other ryes. Yeah. Two, uh, Cause I know one of them, Dane was like your first one that you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, that's the, that's the straight rye that we have out there. It's the, the limited edition rye. It comes that's with the 1.5 ounce sterling silver jigger that resembles something that dad may have won in 19. I was going to say that, that that's the one with the cup on top. Yep, yeah, that's the one with the cup. I, I, I can't imagine those are, are floating around everywhere. You know what? There, I want to say, I think I saw an email uh, Mark sent out just this past week. Uh, I think he might have moved the last few cases or there might be just a few floating around in circulation. Wow. It's, it's We only made a total of 12 barrels of those oh, wow. and we only dumped 10 of them. So dad and you know i and the rest of the crew are going to think of something really special to do with the last two barrels when it gets to be a certain age and uh well we're supposed to be saving one of them for canada if they'd ever open the border yeah but they won't let oh. us go over and hang out with grandma and grandpa anymore so i'd really like to have a home-cooked meal with some rye whiskey up there <laughs> <laughs> Is that, okay so that was yours like right that was the was that, that was the one first the, one we ever made. That's that's uh that is the direct reflection of the internship at Woody Creek Distillery. You have one there, Dean? Yeah, hold on, let me, let me grab it. I'm curious what that uh well, I want to ask Dave, what's that moment like when it's done? Like that that's done, it's ready to bottle and it's ready to get sent out, you know. Dane, when you do that, when you make that, it's your thing, it's ready to send out. What is that like oh shit moment like that you're going, oh my god, this is mine? Like, here it goes to the world. Yeah, so I remember the day he called me. He was filling the last barrel with the white dog. And he was sipping on it. And he was crying. He was so, so happy how good it tasted and how the aromas coming off of the white dog were um, very floral and very sweet. And he was filling up the barrel, sipping it on the white dog. And I wish I could have been there, but... Um, he was like, dad, it's amazing. I'm so happy. And, and um, I didn't get to try it until about six months later. But when I first tried it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, um, you know, we, we get a lot of scotch drinkers loving um, that particular rye. It's made with a, a different yeast than our regular rye. So it presents itself a little different. It's a hundred proof, uh, again, very smooth, um, easy to drink. Uh, but like I was saying, uh, it, it tends to to favor to the to the experienced Scotch drinkers. They try our rye for the first time. They're like, "Wow, that's that's pretty uh, amazing!" Like, what's the mash bill on that? And it's the same mash bill 
uh, 70, 20, 10, but it just goes to show you, you use different uh, yeast, uh, a different barrel and different water is made in a different distillery, how much the flavor profile can change from one product to, to the next, even with the same mash bill. Hmm. And, um, you know, like I, I'm so proud of that product. Um, he's right. Mark called us last week. He said the, the last of the, the um, limited edition cup bottles have been sold. So they're all gone now. Um, whatever's on the shelves, that's, that's the end of it. So um, thankfully I, I grabbed quite a few of them for our, for our family, but uh, Thank you. We do, he's right. We do have two <laughs> barrels left and one of those barrels is uh, hopefully going to go to Canada. There's about, there'll be about 230 bottles out of a barrel. So only 230 bottles will go to Canada. I'm sure they'll get nabbed up right away. Yeah. And then the other barrel we're going to save, you know, maybe let it age to 10 years and, and create something really, really special yeah. for that 10 year uh, limited edition that Dane did himself. We'll do something special, maybe with a new uh, bottle, a new label, and, and we'll, we'll come up with something really unique for sure. But Dane's got the bottle there right now. So go ahead. That's yeah. a special edition one. Yeah, it comes. Thank you, Dad, for, for that. I was freaking lights out. Shut out after shut out, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we came up with this beautiful package. You know, it has the Harlequin pattern with with our which is our corporate logo and mm -hmm. has the eagle in it. And inside, you know, it has a nice little write up, a little bit more about what we what we did. And of course, you know, it's it's got a beautiful, shiny, you know, nice metallic wow. label whitish silver and you know of course representing the chalice on top proudly um and it it, it really is something you know i, I got to make this on uh, carl uh, distilling equipment which is german manufactured and engineered and it's really cool because to start i got to finish these on pot stills so <laughs> Um, whereas bourbon is tr traditionally, you know, rocking and rolling on something old school, like a good old dump double thumper when, when you're, when you're by the, the Creek and the stream in the back, but you know, now we use columns and, uh, Vendome, you know, brass and copper, they, they make some of the best distilling equipment around for, you know, 200 years. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, so, so the, the process to make bourbon, you know, uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm just running it through the doubler and, you know, which kind of acts kind of like a pot, but it doesn't have the exact same shape, which I believe and the Scotsmen will probably tell you, you know, the whiskey hats on top and the shape of the, of the pot stills really are reflective to how clean and how, you know, flavorful the product tastes. So um, I really got to learn traditionally from the start. And uh, like dad was saying, when, when it got done, you know, I was crying and, the white yeah. lightning was so nice and, and floral and earthy and it just went so well with the barrel and it has uh, some lovely like green apple peel and pear aromatic presence and a nice fruity, fruity, pardon me, smoky body and that smoky lingering finish. And, and, and dad's right. The Scotch drinkers do enjoy our, our limited edition rye whiskey. And, and it's, it's so reflective to how I got started as I was telling you, you know, I compared Glenfiddich, Levitt, and mm -hmm. and and Marangi eighteen, and and I, and that was my start. And then when when this thing came out matured, I was like, oh my gosh, what what a, what a tribute to to how my education and curiosity really started. So I couldn't be happier with the Incredible. way it turned out.
That's so cool, man. I, I, I mean, what a beautiful bottle for one. And it's cool. You're getting, you're, you're getting that crossover from scotch. Cause I think, you know, scotch drinkers, I think it's like bourbon drinkers try the scotch and they're not quite sure what they're into. Yeah. So you get that crossover from scotch. I think is really cool. Completely agree, Tony. I think rye drinkers, I think they're a little bit more natural towards that scotch area. I just sure. naturally, I think a rye drinker naturally will cater more to a scotch drinker and vice mm -hmm. versa over a bourbon drinker. Makes sense. Yeah. The sweetness might not translate as much for the, for the bourbon. Completely agree with that, Tony. Completely agree. Uh, what are things like Ed? I'd brought up earlier. Um, you know your transition to number twenty for Trechiak and and some of the things that I think have the the impact from hockey. The people you've been around. You know, I know I'd listened to one interview that you had done, and you're talking about a bottle that was made specifically for. I can't remember the name. I apologize, but I think it was the a gentleman who was at North Dakota was a goalie. I think maybe before you, the uh, hit namesake of the arena. Was that what it was? Ralph Engelstadt. Engelstadt. Is that yeah, so Ralph Engelstadt is the one uh he was a, a former goalie, played for the Sioux. Um, I think he was um more of a, a, a backup goalie, but he he was a one of those guys who just accepted his role and he supported mm -hmm. the team. And um, you know, he went on after he graduated from uh from North Dakota and um, he made his money in Las Vegas uh, in, in the construction world, I believe, and um, a casino. Mm. Well, the arena that I played in uh, was called the Ralph Engelstad arena that he donated, I don't know how many millions of dollars to, to build that arena. Um, and then when we won the cup, in 99, we had the Stanley Cup there, and they had just won, the Sioux had just won um, uh, the Western Conference Final Cup there um, in the NCAA. And so we had the groundbreaking ceremony with Ralph Engelstad for the new Ralph. And uh, he donated, I think, $150 million to build this arena. It's amazing. It's, I, I, I don't think there's a better arena in the world than the uh, – home of the fighting Sioux arena. And, uh, you know, there's granite everywhere with the Sioux head, all the seats wow. have the Sioux head. It's, it's everywhere. They have the best locker room I've ever seen in all of sports. Wow. And they really go out of their way to, um, you know, promote and, and, uh, uh, you know, pay, um, tribute to all the former athletes, um, you know, all the award winners and the, the fellows that, were draft picks and went on to have great NHL careers. And, you know, they, every time you come to a game, they just make you feel so welcome. And, and so, you know, at home, it's just, uh, they never forget you. And it's, it's a big family. And now uh, Ralph Engelstad had a huge part to do with that. And always thankful to Ralph. Um, you know, he was there that day we brought the cup and it was great to see him. That's awesome. Now what's the, again, I don't, I don't want to keep you guys all day, but I feel like I could. Um, what's, what's the, uh, I mean, I know you talked about potentially or in the future, the, um, you know, d distilling in Texas is, do you guys have a timeline for that? Yeah, we're hoping to have our building up and running within two years. It oh takes about six months to plan one, um, you know, go through all the, uh, you know, formalities you have to go through with the city and the county. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, again, you know, we're going to be designing it for that specific piece of property for that that city. So there's some rules that we have to to work around. Uh, that takes about six to eight months, and then it's about a year to a year and a half build. So if we get good weather and everything goes according uh, to plan and everything runs smoothly, we could be, you know, a year and a half to two years, we'll have our, our grand opening and have a big party nice. at Belfort Spirits. And, uh, we look forward to throwing a great party. That's for sure. I believe it. Yeah, so that's because... inevitable. We're definitely going to be throwing one hell of a shaker and everyone's invited. <laughs> Stogie's whiskey and barbecue. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> Texas brisket down here. Oh. I, I'll tell you, it's tough to beat, guys. It really is. <laughs> I can't. I, uh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. You're it, we'll make sure you it, get an invite, Tony. Absolutely. Hey, let me know. Let me yeah, know. I'll be bet. there. <laughs> anything, anything bottling wise in the future that you guys would like to uh to get the word out on by chance? Yeah, Dad, let, let everybody know what's coming right around the corner, probably summertime here. Yeah, so we've been working on, for the last six months, our uh, straight bourbon, but it's going to be a small batch. Hmm. So what we're going to come out with is a small batch straight bourbon. It's going to be 100.5 proof. Uh, it's going to have a beautiful gold label. And um, I can't wait to get it on the shelves here um, sometime in may is what I'm, I'm told it'll end up hitting the shelves uh, we're so excited about that it's our our uh, first straight bourbon product that we're going to enter the market with um been doing a lot of tastings with it and uh, get a lot of compliments of of uh, how much character it has and how smooth it is and easy to drink uh, again it's 100.5 proof so um, you know it's up there in proof point wow congratulations on that that's a cool that's really cool it's awesome Thank to you. hear that there's more things being, uh, you know, developed and you guys are enjoying what you're doing. I think, especially as a family, you know, you got your daughter involved as well. I mean, what a cool thing for you guys to be able to do together. Yeah, it is. And, uh, we, we really appreciate, uh, the opportunity to share our brand with you today, Tony, and, and all your followers. And, you know, it means so much to us that, uh, people enjoy our whiskey. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to, trying to get the word out, man, because this is, it's really good whiskey. It's not, you know, like there's some that are, I think I respect the fact that people are trying to put out whiskey and nobody's trying to put out bad whiskey and everybody's palate is mm -hmm. different, but this is very good whiskey. You know, it's very, it's, there's so, there's a lot of complexity to it. And I think it just fights off that um, stigma of young bourbon. And I think that's really cool. And people get caught up in what's the number say on the bottle. And it's nice when you have that age stated bottle and you don't need to have it though, to enjoy a good bottle of whiskey. I, I couldn't have said, I couldn't have said that any better, Tony, for others that, you know, I can reflect and represent for in the industry that no, that was so perfectly said because at the end of the day, you know, the juice is either worth the squeeze or it's not. And if it drinks good for you, well, hot damn, let's clink glasses together and pour another one, you know, <laughs> like that's gonna, what it's all about, dude. Oh, I'm with you. All right. Thank last thing I want to ask you real quick. Oh, of course. Um, your website, you mentioned a, a goal for you guys about advancing hockey and supporting veterans and also uh, abused and neglected dogs. Can you guys tell me a little bit about that? I think that was a really, that part of it tied it in for me. I was like, man, they are hitting the, the big things that are really um, important and, and very cool for you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I believe every day we wake up and, and uh, 
you know, the freedoms we have in, in Canada and the U.S., you know, it goes to our militaries and, and, and all of our veterans that gave their lives to our, our freedoms that we have. And, you know, I'm so thankful. Our family's so thankful. Um, all my friends are the same way. So we go out of our way to uh, support uh, the military in any way possible, all the veterans. Uh, we want to continue to do that. Um, it makes me sick when I see um, athletes taking a knee to the national anthem and uh, you know throwing the, the American flag on the ground. And uh, it, it makes me just sick to my stomach to see these spoiled athletes doing that and disgracing our country in our flag. And, um, you know, I don't think they realize how many people sacrificed and, and families sacrificed their lives for our freedoms and for them to actually be on the field playing such a great sport. Uh, it doesn't matter what sport we're playing, but being able to play that sport is a privilege that they gave their lives for. So we're all about that. Um, we also love dogs in particular. And uh, we had 12 rescue dogs at one point. Uh, at some point in the future, we want to build a, uh, a rescue and health facility for dogs, wow. um, you know, sometime in the future here in Texas. Um, you know, we, we still have a couple Come of here. our rescues. There's, uh, there's one right there. <laughs> there he is. Hey, buddy. hey, buddy. He's a good boy. He, this is my, he never left, man. He, he stuck with me forever. This is my best buddy, Tony. Yeah. I'm trying to get my. I, I try to mute myself so I get my dog over here so we can, you know, have a dog moment. Your little Frenchie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you were telling oh, me about you had, awesome. you had Boston Terriers, right? Before and yeah, they're great. My my wife and I got a, a a French bulldog when she was a couple months old, and I man, they're just the absolute best. Yeah, yeah, we love dogs, so you know That's we great. we want to do that at some point, and um, you know we. We also try to help out whenever we can, you know, former hockey players that may need some help. Um, you know, we, we reach out in as many ways as possible. Uh, you know, throughout my career, I was also involved with Make-A-Wish. So, oh, cool. you know, young kids that, uh, you know, have health issues, I've always been supportive of that. And, you know, at some point in the future, we, we'd like to uh, also create an orphanage you know, for kids that don't have parents or lost their parents and, you know, try and give them, you know, a, a great start to life with a good education and, and people are going to support and love them and, and see them through, um, you know, to, to maybe some of their dreams of, of being a professional athlete or, or a musician or, you know, whatever their dreams may be, we're going to help support that also. So there's many things that we we want to do with the profits that we make from Belfort spirits to, to help give back to this world. That's great. I, I wish you guys all the best. I mean, you guys are outstanding. I really appreciate your time and, and I really appreciate your whiskey. Um, where, where can people find you guys on social media? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh, belfortspirits.com. Um, there is a, uh, uh, search engine on our website where you can go to find our spirits. You put in your zip code and, It'll tell you where the closest uh, uh, place is to buy our spirits. Mm -hmm. um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, of course. And, um, you know, you pretty much find us uh, 
uh, anywhere on those social platforms. And, um, you know, we're doing uh, podcasts and we do tastings. We do, you know, as many get togethers as possible, uh, you know, out there with the public too. That's great, man. Well, you guys, Ed, Dane, really, really appreciate your time. This has been outstanding. I really appreciated our conversation and uh, I really can't thank you enough for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tony. Really appreciate you guys. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you.